Welcome to the iSmart Podcast Show with Tom Rogers, founder and CEO of iSmart Networks. We help connect entrepreneurs with key partnerships to build financial freedom. The average millionaire has seven streams of income, and our guests reveal how they created multiple streams in their businesses. We believe that every person has a unique message that can positively impact the world. Stick around for the end of the show, where I'll reveal how you could be our next guest on one of the fastest growing daily transformational podcasts on the planet in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. Okay, thanks for joining iSmart Podcast. On the show today, we have Jordan Glazier. He's the CEO of Wildfire. Uh, started out as a consultant. He was an executive at eBay. Um, he was also the CEO of Eventful that was acquired by CBS. Uh, he's a pretty phenomenal entrepreneur. I really appreciate him having him on the show today. Jordan, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Tom? Fantastic. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of things we got to talk about, um, you know, but we always kind of go into the founder story, you know, how you first started you know, in business, things of that nature. Uh, where did you originally grow up? I grew up in Chicago, Chicago boy originally nice. uh, in the city and, uh, and went to Michigan undergrad. I followed my brother there. Uh, okay. So stayed in, early, early career was Midwest before I got uh, sucked over to California. Never to leave. <laughs> Definitely. And so did you go to school for business or was it just like, was it just like a general focus? I, you know, I, I, I intentionally wanted to uh, stay liberal arts at Michigan. I studied interna international relations um, with a kind of an expectation all along that I was going to go to business school from a graduate, a graduate business school at some point. Okay. I did eventually. So did you, you know, a lot of these uh, entrepreneurs that we talked to, they had like some kind of hustle that they did in college. Was there anything like that or was it, or was it just kind of like a, standard fun college experience and then you got into kind of you know, Michigan was a very standard fun college <laughs> experience you know, it, very cool. it was uh, I, I did not uh, my roommate was had you know friend and roommate friends and roommates had the side hustle and it, I I've never been uh, of that ilk nice yeah it's funny like people you know talk about all these random things the first time their first businesses they started you know, like just at a really, really young age. So did you get into business kind of after you graduated and that's the kind of direction that you went? Um, was there, was there some kind of starting point as far as like the seed Maybe someone planted the seed of entrepreneurship and business and you kind of went that, went that, went down that direction? You know, I, I think I attribute a lot of it to uh, my father. He, uh, my grandparents actually started a women's clothing manufacturing company in Chicago okay. in like the 1910s. And wow. so growing up, you know, I always saw, you know, at their peak, they had about 600 employees. And so I saw sort of the family business and my father and his brothers, uh, you know, running it. And by the time my father was the youngest of three. So by the time I was really in, you know, kind of middle school and high school, my father, you know, the other brothers had retired. My father was you know, running a business, had you know, lots of employees and was, you yeah. know, the buck stopped with him. And that was the role model that I saw growing up. and. Uh, I knew I didn't necessarily wasn't drawn to that the industry that he was in, but I knew that that role of building and running something was, I think, set in stone for me early on. Yeah, it's kind of powerful just to see like the you know whatever your family's doing, they have a direction, they have like kind of a goal, and everything. All these things are you know being manifested in their life. It's really it's really quite amazing, and then you see all the happiness associated with the things that they're creating. Um, it's really cool. Yeah, so, there's, there's with my the happiness, there's the pride, there's the self-determination. There's a lot of, uh, 
uh, attributes of it. Definitely. Um, so, so you graduated and then you did, what was the first time you started your company? Was it after you moved over to the West coast? So, um, out of Michigan, I went, uh, to Boston consulting group and I spent seven years with BCG in their Chicago office. And, um, that was, uh, when I first heard of consulting, I was at Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you know, when I, when you start doing the job search, um, yeah, I was immediately drawn to it. Uh, that was, I, I, I saw it as a way to cut my teeth and learn business from the best, uh, from a bird's eye view, strategically, you know, at, at the C-suite, um, and it met all those expectations. It was a phenomenal way to learn a bunch of industries. Uh, I like the project nature of it, where you're kind of dipping in and out for three or six months in an industry or a company, and then moving on to the next and doing a couple of those in parallel was I mean, an incredible learning experience. Yeah, that's funny. I had another guest uh, on the on the show, you know, a few weeks back, and he did something very similar. He became a consultant. He learned some really great skills from uh, a high level company, and then he took those skills, became a consultant for all these other companies, and worked all these minor projects. And then that that whole process really just bred in these the the kind of entrepreneur vibe. And then he eventually, you know, had this idea of this great business and then launched it and scaled it and it did really, really well. But he took the skills and the knowledge and everything he learned from just kind of bouncing ideas and, and working with all these high level individuals, all these really smart individuals that he grew it like ex- exponentially fast, you know, because of that whole process. Really? Yeah. 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 How many, how many years did you do the consulting? So I was there for about seven years in the, uh, included in that I went to Kellogg for business school. Um, oh, cool. so, uh, which, uh, was, uh, you know, again, in Chicago, um, and was a, a, a great experience, uh, nice as well. So, so seven years. And then was it after that kind of like at the end of that, uh, transition, you went into eBay? Um, there was a step in between, which was interesting. You know, uh, we talked about BCG being a great learning experience, but in mm-hmm. the end, your, your output is PowerPoint. Yeah. And, or, you know, in a lot of respects, I mean, you're, you're divining strategies and so forth, but it's so focused on, it's so focused on strategy and PowerPoint and kind of my last couple of years there, I started yearning more and more to actually build and do rather than strategize. Uh, and so, you know, in, you know, BCGs call it hundred percent strategy and, you know, in the real world, you know, fast forward to today, you know, strategy is important, but it's, it's really 5% of the effort. 95% is execution. Right. And, um, and so I wanted to, so I, I, it was after several years at BCG, I was ready to, to embark on that, you know, the rest of the spectrum. Like I'm, I'm tired of just strategizing. I want to execute, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, I, I followed another BCG exec over to a company in Chicago called GATX, which is a logistics and transportation company. And I uh, took on, which, which, and I, uh, ran international business development there, which was a really nice tie-in with my international uh, education from Kellogg and, and Michigan. So that was like the taste um, of like execution of the strategies, essentially. Yeah, I was doing M&A and joint ventures and building new businesses throughout you know, South America and Mexico. And I was basically paying, playing coach and referee for all the country managers that were already existent in Europe. Um, yeah, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. you know, bought a business in Brazil, did JV in uh, Argentina, and um, did a, a greenfield business in 
Mexico that was all in like three and a half years. It was a really intensive sort of fun building and a ton of travel, which was a great period of, you know, of time when I could still, you know, without the, you know, the obligations that keep you at home uh, to, to, uh, to do that. Yeah. And then, and then late, this is, kind of took me through 99, you know, date, that dates me. Um, the internet was happening and I wanted to be part of it. Um, and uh, being in the logistics and transportation business wasn't, you know, wasn't that. Um, so I started looking around and I got a call from eBay in, at the end of 99 and started there in Q1 of 2000. Uh, and awesome. that was a spectacular opportunity. And at the, at the time, you know, it was a really interesting time at eBay. It, uh, it was um, when I started, it was essentially like 95 or 100 percent collectibles, you know, toy trains and beanie babies and stuff like that. And right. there was an idea that it might, there was an idea it might work for other stuff. And I was brought in to see if we could prove that out for basically what, you know, we came to be known as consumer practicals. So while I was while I was at eBay, I built the computers and consumer electronics and video games and sort of all of those photography, all those related industries. And about halfway through my tenure there, uh, I um, observed a lot of business buying taking place in hmm. those categories. You know, servers and professional DJ equipment or whatever it is. You know, in, in the, within the electronics and computers, there was a lot of business buying, um, and so. Um, spun up a strategy, secured the resources, and built a new business, an you know, new, a new new business within eBay, which we which can, we we ended up calling Business and Industrial, which is a portfolio of about I don't know 15 different industry verticals for things like restaurant equipment and construction equipment and test and measurement equipment and agricultural equipment, etc. Which for the time that I was at eBay, the, you know, it ended up being the fastest growing and is now one of the largest uh, parts of eBay. It's, it's wow. less known, but, a, you know, it, but in, enormous. And at the time, there were all those B2B verticals floating around, like for each of those, you know, for construction equipment or restaurant equipment. And we very quickly, yeah. very quickly became larger than each of those in each of the verticals that we covered. Wow. So you got to like really, you almost like kind of launch that entire industry. Yeah. We, I, we, I, I and my team. You just shares for that, or what? <laughs> I, I had a phenomenal team in in both from the computers and electronics side, but as well uh, on the business and industrial side. That you know, everyone has since pretty much you know long ago left eBay, but yeah. it's you know many of us are still in touch, and all of them have gone on to do amazing things, build great businesses, and work in, at the top of their field. So it was a time, you know, really interesting time in history where you know we we had assemble just a phenomenal team and uh, built a great business. Yeah, eBay is doing some really interesting things. You know, I had another guy on the podcast the other week and he said um, that he, uh, he had this interesting diamond um, uh, kind of database company where, you know, he was utilizing Bitcoin te technology to register diamonds online. Uh, and we were talking about how you could essentially, you know, repossess these diamonds, you know, and how would that process look like? You know, if they don't, if they kind of default on their loan, they would put a loan out on their diamond, they would register it online. And then, you know, but if they couldn't make their payments or whatever, right. Uh, and so, you know, he was talking about how eBay is doing this thing now where they have really great ways to sell jewelry 
online um, and great verification methods and everything. So it's interesting how eBay's transitioned so much like over the years uh, and really kind of stayed ahead of the curve. What do you think about them now? You know, I think um, uh, after I left eBay, which was in 2004, it was sort of the rise of Google. It was yeah. really just, I mean, Google went public in 2004. eBay had already reached its crescendo. Amazon was still struggling, frankly, with, you know, mostly books and video, you know, you know books and music. Um, I think it was eBay's to lose, and they kind of lost it in hindsight in a lot of ways. And, I, you know, I'm not, I don't mean to say that to be controversial. I just, you know, if you look at the market cap of Amazon versus <laughs> yeah. eBay today, Veritably. it's converted. Yeah. Um, that said... I think eBay's having a bit of a rebirth, especially going, you know, what's going on with COVID. And it's uh, sort of, I think the idea behind eBay has kind of a renewed uh, relevance for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, I think the management, there's a new, a new CEO there, Jamie Iannone, who was at eBay at the same time as I was. Uh, we worked together. Um, he went off to uh, Sam's Club and then Walmart and was, I think, basically running digital for Walmart or, you know, I, I don't know what his mm-hmm. title was, but he had a senior executive role at Walmart and just got yanked back into eBay as CEO. Um, and that happened at the, like, right as COVID was hitting, their stock's up like 30 or 40% nice. pre-COVID. And I think part of it is due to a breath of fresh air uh uh, part of it's due to the you know COVID and what's happening with the Nasdaq and you know and others in general, um, but part kind of going back to the roots of like building a marketplace. I think eBay kind of lost its way a little bit for a while. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, it reminds me of almost like the Steve Jobs moment, you know, when he left Apple and then came back. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very similar. I think Jamie would like that. Jamie would like that comparison a lot. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's, 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 I don't know if it's that level, but you know, whatever. <laughs> Um, cool. So, so, you know, you were at that time with eBay, uh, you know, you learned a lot, you did a lot of great things. Sounds like it. Uh, and, uh, when did eventful kind of come into, uh, your life uh, after eBay? A couple steps after that, um, I, uh, decided to, you know, kind of my, my time at eBay had run its course. Um, when I started, it was like 300 people. When I left, it was like 12,000. Um, and it was time to kind of try something new. My wife and I moved down to uh, San Diego because um, we could. <laughs> you know, I guess if you're thinking about like where, where do you, what, what do you want to do next? Uh, yeah. San Diego is a great answer to that question, right? Yeah, always. <laughs> um, and uh, after kind of taking a, a breath of fresh air for a decent amount of time, started stepping back into the entrepreneurial world and. Uh, started getting on some boards. I took a, a COO role of a startup here in San Diego that was acquired very quickly uh, by a company called Internet Brands in, uh, in LA. And just on the heels of that, uh, I got a call from the investors that had led the A round at Eventful. They were looking for a CEO. And uh, that was, I think, 2006-ish. Uh, um, and... Uh, you know, the time at Eventful was awesome. Um, it was fun to build a business here in San Diego. The, the, the workforce here in San Diego is, is unsung. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing, particularly on the engineering and product side. Yeah. Um, and I think that we, we, it's, it's, uh, it's an underreported uh, gem. Um, 
Definitely. Yeah. I would agree hundred yeah. percent. There were a lot of fun people here too. So it's not only they're smart, they're also fun. <laughs> they're smart, they're fun. And um, I value work-life balance. So do they. Um, so there's, uh, there's an intensity when you're working, but there's also like pretty much everyone lives balanced lives here more so than frankly in other parts of the country. And, and, that, and that, that, that's important to me as well. Right. Yeah, of course. Uh, so real quick on Eventful, because um, I wanted to get to Wildfire and spend a decent amount of time on that. Uh, but sure. with Eventful, you know, you came in, What how, how developed was the company when you, when you came in as a CEO? Um, there were seven engineers in a windowless room uh, building great <laughs> technology, yeah. uh, literally a windowless room. That's building great. great <laughs> a technology that had not seen the light of day, right? <laughs> literally, yeah. Uh, <laughs> literally. Um, and... Um, uh, no revenue, essentially zero users. It was a, you know, and, and, uh, fast forward to, you know, eight years when we were acquired by CBS, um, we were a team of about 75 people. Um, we had, uh, uh, aggregated an audience of about 25 million registered users. Um, we built multiple revenue streams. We had partnerships with, you know, uh, we were focused on the entertainment industry. So we had partnerships with, you know, all the leaders in that space, all the film studios, the broadcasters, the radio programmers, the, um, the ticketing companies, uh, and we had footprint in the, in the U.S. And, and also a big footprint in the U.K. and Europe. Um, and, uh, very cool. So it was quite, a really interesting real question uh, on this because this is a very common, uh, uh, common thing that we hear from entrepreneurs and, you know, especially like Tony Robbins who always talks about the exit strategy, right? So I'm curious, you know, it started out with seven developers in a windowless room, right? And you had this like gold vision, right? But then you built it out. Was it kind of from the beginning, that direction? Did you want to, did you have an exit strategy during that process? Or was it just kind of, it just naturally happened? So, you know, uh, eventful, like wildfire is, you know, it's a venture back business. Uh, and I think that that, by definition means that you're going to be seeking an exit within interesting you know, period of time. Okay. Uh, you know, best VCs don't invest to have nice lifestyle businesses. Um, they're not that said that, you know, so there's the, you need to think about what your exit is, but the, the best way to actually secure that successful exit is really to build the great business. Right. And build a business right. that's built to last with, you know, great customers and partners and internal operations and systems and, um, and everything that's sort of built to last means. And so uh, I think the kind of agility to both be forward thinking about what is the right ultimate home for this business, but in the meantime, still just building a great business requires um, you to wear, you know, both of those hats simultaneously. Yeah, that's such an, that's such great feedback um, because I think a lot of times you know when we talk about you know business building and and these things you know these guys we have these people that are like you know I've never I've never looked into building a business so that way I could eventually sell it I just looked at you know have a great impact a great meaning you know take care of our customers like do all this I just had a vision of doing this great thing and doing it and then eventually the acquisition kind of happened um, but it wasn't like guided or intended. Uh, but what you're saying, just to clarify, is that when you, if you have VCs or you know some kind of capital firm that's like backing you, that invested, 
their kind of almost, uh, would you say like maybe like guiding the company in that direction? So that way they eventually have an exit strategy. No, I, I don't think it's an explicit guidance. I mean, that's why they invest. They invest to get a return on their money and the return happens when there's an exit. Okay. So it's, it's by, it's by definition, you, yeah. you know, if you're going to take venture money, that means that, so anyone that tells you that they just wanted to build a great business and they took venture money along the way is not, uh, is only telling part of the story. I mean, you, you build a business to have liquidity, particularly if you are, uh, taking venture money. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really, really phenomenal. I think people are going to be, uh, love that. <laughs> So, uh, you know, just another thing. Again, not trying to be controversial. That's my, that's my humble opinion. It's a, it's a little, it's a little I controversial. I mean, that's, I love it, but you know, it's like at the end of the day, you know, there people, we need these different perspectives on different structures in business because people always were like, you know, if you're going to build a company, you have to have an extra strategy. And other people are like, I just want to build a great company and, you know, be able to live on it and have it pay for, pay me for the rest of my life, you know, and the board members. And never have an exit strategy. So I think it's very interesting. You know, there's two, you know, different. Yeah, they, if you take investors like that, they need an exit. But what, what's what, building a great company means you've got, you end up having great partners and customers and vendors and so forth. And, you know, I don't have, I'm sure there are statistics on this. I don't have them offhand, but the vast majority of business, of acquisitions are done by companies with whom you're already doing, you know, but with whom you're already doing in business, right? It's an existing partner or someone who's you're on the radar of that you're, you're, you're so, in alignment with, and they could just easily acquire this and it'd be a huge benefit kind of, uh, firsthand experience with you and your team and your technology or whatever you're offering. Um, and they decide that it's something that they can't live without. Um, mm -hmm. and, that you can only accomplish that by actually just building a great business and providing a great service and building and having a great team and et cetera. Yeah. So keep the focus, you know, and don't lose the focus and just be all about money, you know, always going over, go, go for meaning, not for money. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so last thing, you know, we, we I wanted to go into is with your current, uh, current business that you were as wildfire. Can you, can you kind of just, um, just dash real quick, just real quickly, like what wildfire is and then, you know, what is the vision and, and, and what is like the main goal with this? Sure. Um, so wildfire is a social commerce platform. Now those are three words, but there's a lot packed in there. Um, what I observed through my time at, uh, at eBay and um, other stops along the way, there's sort of an elephant on the table when you think about marketing, which is that, uh, you know, the the most potent influencer of purchase decision making is when someone people, someone you know recommends something to you. People recommend stuff to each other all the time, and it drives an enormous amount of commerce. Yeah, um, you know, if you I've dug into the stats on it, and if you look at things like social messaging, people mention brands and products and social messaging like two billion times a day, and. Um, and when you, when, you know, surveys continuously, you know, universally, the you know, survey says um, that word of mouth recommendations are by far the most trusted form of product discovery. So what you've got is people recommending stuff to each other, seeking advice from, or, or seeking advice from friends for particularly a, uh, a uh, more uh, considered purchase. Mm -hmm. And that's driving an enormous amount of commerce. And it's all, it was all happening historically. It's all been happening very, um, in a very unstructured, 
way that has not been harnessed. Yeah, you just and tell your buddy, so, okay, this is happening, and then they maybe look at it and they yeah. Google it, and there's really or, no way know, to track it. Yeah, back you know, as soon as we're able to go skiing again, you know, or travel after COVID, you know, and I'm writing to my buddies and saying, okay, guys, let's go skiing, and here's where we should stay, and I want to recommend a hotel. It's the the process to do that is a little more there involves more steps than it should, right. and um, and then I'll drive end up driving five or ten thousand dollars of of you know of transactions through one of the OTAs for a hotel. And I'm going to do that anyway, but th- that commerce activity is happening and our ability to harness, the ability to harness and steer that and, and frankly, um, uh, participate in that revenue stream and enable the user to get rewarded for recommending transactions is what that was, that was the, uh, the intent, the intent that was the genesis of, uh, of wildfire. In the world of wildfire, I know that there's wildfires going on in California, so, so sometimes I regret that. Every time in you know, August through October, I regret that uh, that name for the company. <laughs> but you know, it, 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 the the origin is that you know, word of mouth spreads like wildfire. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, so, how did you simplify yeah. that process? Because it sounds like it's a that's a complex question. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we have built. I've got an amazing team, and over the last three years, we've built a suite of technologies that uh, detect whenever people are detect when people are mentioning you know detect detect product mentions and purchase intent this is through and like you know i could be talking to my phone or i could be going through on instagram yes, or Facebook, yes, something like that so for example yeah so we have we use nat- one 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 of the tools that we use is you know techniques you know what uh, platforms that we have is um, uses natural language processing to examine the content of uh, your you your know, phones are listening to you, people. <laughs> yeah, but well, we do it very explicitly yeah. and intentionally, yeah. and and frankly, it's a feature. So if I write to you and say, if you write to me, if your cousin says, "Hey, I'm I'm coming to San Diego. Where should I stay?" and you wrote back to them and said, "Oh, you should stay at the Marriott near the racetrack in Del Mar." Right. right. Pretty typical conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, n- Right now, without wildfire, what uh, your cousin would need to then do is leave that conversation, pull up a browser, like Google, you know, Marriott near the racetrack in Del Mar, like decide which OTA to go to, land at that OTA, do some more searches, uh, and eventually, you know, 10 or whatever steps later, they've arrived at the thing that you were mentioning. Right. And we use technology to ascertain that on the fly within the context of the conversation. How long so is this you said, process now? I mean, as far as seconds, like, or minutes? I mean, for the user, it, for us to, so, so what we do is, is replace Marriott with the racetrack near the racetrack in Del Mar. We just basically think of that as getting underlined. Mm-hmm. So you can tap on it, go to the right page at Expedia or hotels.com or whatever. Wow. So it's almost like instantaneous, a simplified no, process. Like when you, on your, if you have an iPhone, you know, you say like, okay, let's chat at, you know, 12 o'clock on the 25th and it gets underlined and it links to your calendar. And it's like, that's a delightful feature. Very delightful. Yeah. Um, when it, it really is. I mean, if you say, okay, you know, let's meet at this, you know, this location or here's my address and it gets underlined and it pulls up the map. It's, it is, it's like, it's, it's such a convenience. You used to, not so long ago, you used to have to like, 
copy that and paste it or memorize it or write it down and then go over to the map and type that in and yeah. get it wrong a couple of times. So um, what we're doing is very much in line with that. Um, in uh, it's you know from a user's perspective and frankly from the uh, perspective of the telecom industry, first and foremost, this is a, a user experience enhancement. We're saving people time. We're keeping them in the conversation. We're essentially we are embedding product discovery within the context of the conversation. And um, that's very powerful. It's it's not very been powerful. done. Uh, you know, the way that we're solving for it is is, is unique. Um, we've got six patents that have already issued around this. Um, so, you know, I don't think you build a business around patents, but it's important to protect your IP along the way. So we've We've uh, done that in parallel. In parallel with building the, the technology and building the business, we're also building the IP portfolio around it. So a couple, a couple questions I have, like, are just you know, you get this information. Um, the platform essentially um, uh, takes all that information and then simplifies it in the easiest form to deliver it to the consumer. Are there? I'm sure there's there's so many different ways you can deliver information to a consumer. Now, how is that process? Uh, what is that process like? So that way, it's the most efficient way. So, you know, we've we've taken a look at how people have tried to solve for this in the past, and it always ended up being like some other site, like a recommendation service or a separate site. I don't believe in that. I think you need to meet the user where they are. So we are all about embedding product discovery within the context of how a user is currently, uh, you know, whatever. Engaging, right. Um, so whether, engaging, whether they're in the, in the conversation. Another feature we have, I'm sure you're familiar with, um, like Honey and other sort of cashback services. Mm. Um, we, we, so the, the NLP is one part of what we do. Another is sort of offering cashback and what we call share and earn. So, you know, another, other ways that people recommend stuff to each other isn't just by mentioning that. They may actually will send a link to their favorite dress or whatever it is. Um, and even doing that still is kind of a, uh, historically has been a bit of a broken experience. So we've, innovated around that a lot um, and built technologies that are um, similar to Chrome extensions, both for desktop and for mobile devices that enable people to, you know, in the midst of their shopping experience, get, get prompted with the ability to earn cash back or um, earn if their friends buy when they share uh, as a sort of inline prompt with as part of the uh, user experience. And this is yeah. kind of all in alignment with their, the company's website. So it'd be like Marriott's website or something like that. Correct. Marriott, yeah, exactly. So you, you go, you, you, you navigate to, you know, Walmart and you're looking at a, you know, a, a ceiling fan or whatever it is, a dehumidifier. Um, cause it's been humid lately. And, yeah. uh, uh, you know, right then and there, if you 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 get a, a a subtle notification that says you know click here to earn up to you know whatever five percent cash back or you or you can earn that five percent if you share this with your friends and they buy it mm -hmm. and the, the the wording is a lot lighter than that I'm elaborating right. it's, you know, and it's like a personal recommendation it's like you you use some kind of social proof at that point along with that product right absolutely. Cool. And so in all of these things, what's important to mention across the board for all of our technologies, we made, we long ago made the decision not to be direct to consumer, try to build our own brand. Um, there are, we're an enterprise B2B platform and we work with 
other businesses who license our technology and embed our features and functionality into the user experience for their users within their apps. So we're not trying to attract, retain, re-engage our own audience. Uh, right. We're working with partners. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Super cool. So what are the what are the revenue structures that have been built inside Wildfire currently as far as like a B2B uh, model? Is it just like a monthly subscription basis? Is it like per amount of users that are utilizing it's the platform? Re- revenue, sh- revenue share. Revenue share. Revenue share. Okay, cool. Um, so, you know, let's say, you know, for my car wash business, you know, we wanted to start utilizing Wildfire to, you know, um, increase our engagement and the amount of people that are um, booking car washes, we would then have a conversation about how you'd, you'd be able to, you know, implement the technology into our current, uh, like way that we do business. And then we would talk about a rev share. So, um, we don't do, uh, the, for, for local online businesses, it's a much more complicated, uh, we're not staffed to or organized to, handle those th- those types of conversations frankly okay we're looking much more at sort of e-commerce and nationwide based yeah really really e-commerce based the the whole online to offline uh, migration path of, of, a, of a transaction is um, so far you know there are others who have focused on that exclusively and done a really you know a pretty good job of that uh, you know, I'm just thinking about the group on the world and stuff like that. that, that, that yeah, honestly, like th- th- this is a space that actually needs to be uh, enlarged, you know, that way you guys are doing with wildfire because e-commerce is becoming more of a standard. I think it was uh, a couple of entrepreneurs went as an event uh, and uh, Ezra Firestone was mentioning that, and he's this huge e-commerce guy, right? So he was saying that maybe four or 5% of the world is, selling things online their products are online and i think that just one it blew my mind i thought it was way more than that and two it just like kind of show showed the amount of potential that there is in the space people are saying oh e-commerce is blah blah, blah. spotify or shopify is kind of dying and drop shipping is dying and all these different things i highly doubt that i think the coronavirus has literally accelerated that process at an extreme rate and so having something like wildfire to be able to you know, kind of expedite that process, make it more um, trustworthy at the end of the day, I think is really a big piece. I think most e-commerce businesses are untrustworthy. I mean, I, I think I bought a couple of things on e-commerce just from scrolling through different like media um, channels and never even got the products because they were just targeting me because they were trying to go for COVID um, kind of things like workout equipment and this thing and, and that. So there's so I think a lot of people just trust Amazon. Is is Wildfire going to be able to kind of help that process of that big trust issue? So I think you, know, you hit on something interesting. People recommending things to others is uh, the most trusted form of product discovery, and it's also a great vetting, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're you know if you're if you're going to recommend something to your friend, it means that you've it's not not just the product, but the merchant also is something that you trust. Um, so I think we can help cut through that. You know, we've seen, uh, it's interesting, you know, our before COVID, our most, uh, our highest volume verticals were uh, travel and live entertainment, you know, hotels and concert tickets and things like that. And yeah. those came to a screeching halt in, uh, in March. Um, but what we saw happen 
in parallel with that is an enormous spike in e-commerce for essentials and just things that people don't no longer want to run out to the store for. Yeah. And so even even with our biggest verticals uh, grinding to a halt, our our numbers tripled and have sustained. And it's awesome. Uh, I I don't I, I you know I I don't have any glee about that from what's going on in the world, but it's but I like that we're able to um, help you know people. That means that more people are earning more cash back on their purchases mm. and are earning money as a side hustle essentially using our platform um, so that they're able to recommend stuff to you know stuff to friends and earn a share of any resulting transactions. So um, we're able to help out in that respect. That feels good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, when I think about it from like, you know, I just ordered sun tan, a, a bottle of suntan lotion from <laughs> Amazon, like the stuff that you would normally yeah. just run down the store for or yeah, grab do. as the impulse purchases. And then, like it shows up the next day, free shipping, same yeah. or better price. Like, I, I don't know when I'm going to, I personally, I mean, I'll take my own experience, but I, I think that the migration to e-commerce, which was already happening at a rapid pace, had a huge, you know, step function increase as a result of COVID. And I don't see why, I don't see what would drive it back the other direction, even when things open back up. I think it, it's, it's a, 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 a shift that will remain. It will remain. You know, so so Jordan, great, great question for you. Cause you have a lot of, a lot of, a lot of time and a lot of career a lot of your career was in the event space, even in wildfires, it looks like you, you even directed the company to be more event based because you probably had a, an immense amount of connections in that arena already. Right. Um, so what do you think about the event space now? You know, it's a tough business. I, um, it's a good question. You know, I think about it. I haven't put it into words. Uh, I, Personally, I think it's going to be a long time before we're, you know, standing in a, you know, going to the belly up again. Unfortunately, I love it. Um, and, and or, or, or other concert venues. So, you know, I think musicians and, and performers are uh, highly impacted by it. You know, uh, you know, and, and it's not, you know, it's not like all performers are, are mega rich. You know, that's yeah. just, you know, the one percent. There's a lot of them that are, you know, having to work really hard to make a living, and there, it's so all of them are, are highly impacted. Um, the shift to, you know, the, the shifts in digital music where people, you know, performers stopped making money from the sale of recorded music and really came over the last 15 years to rely on live events for their yeah. revenue uh, leaves them a little high and dry now with COVID. Right. The, 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 the revenue source that they turn to to rely on for their income also screeched to a halt. So um, it'll open back up. It'll take time. Um, and I, but I, but beyond that, I, you know, I can't prognosticate what that's going to look like a year or two, three yeah. years from now. Yeah. It's challenging. It's really, it's a, it's a challenging, it really did kind of uh, mm-hmm. leave this huge gap, right. Um, of these extremely talented people <laughs> that right. are not being paid anymore. <laughs> I, you know, I see, uh, I've, I've heard ads, you know, uh, recently to buy tickets for concerts where you can, but it's a zoom concert, but from yeah. large artists where they'll, there's cool. like a wall of TV screens where you can be like in the front row, meaning the artist can see you, I guess. I, I, I mean, 
I mean, just look at Tony Robbins, you know, Tony Robbins, I mean, he did that event, um, just, uh, one of the largest events and it was all virtual. He did, he did a bunch of projectors and had thousands of people there virtually and he could still pull people out from, you know, their homes via zoom or, you know, and right. had a phenomenal event. I, I think it's just, there's, yeah, there's definitely a lot of innovation that needs to be done in that space, uh, pretty quickly. And stuff. it's really an opportunity for entrepreneurs to be able to, um, you know, invent and create new ways to be able to do it. So that's really cool. Uh, so it's, 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 it's changing travel a lot. I mean, I, yeah. mean, I think your, your travel radius becomes much smaller. It's not jumping on a plane to wherever, um, either domestically or internationally. It's now like, you know, what's your tolerance for being in the car? Is it four hours, seven hours, you know, and that's, that becomes your radius. Um, so that's a really interesting shift as well. Yeah. So many things that, I mean, that's, I, I feel as if all the entrepreneurs like in 2019, they thought 20, 2020 happened, February happened. They're like, Oh crap, this is like craziness. And then everyone decided to start new businesses. <laughs> they started like two, three, four businesses. I got three businesses. I'm starting this year because of like how yeah. many opportunities that I see, you know, I guess. It's From chaos comes opportunity. If you uh, can keep your head about you. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay, cool. So, um, you know, for, for our audience that's listening, you know, I think you, you've, you've had a quite a phenomenal career. There's some really great things that are happening with wildfire. Uh, you know, Jordan, how do, how do they get a hold of you? Um, if they want to, you know, implement wildfire and, and the strategies and what you guys are doing there into their platform or to their, or whatever they're doing. Um, if anyone's interested in learning more, feel free to write me at Jordan at wildfire corp.com. They can also go to our website, wildfire-corp.com, uh, to um, read a little bit more. It's not, it's, we, we haven't gone deep on the website. It probably needs a facelift at this point, but there's a way to contact us there and get an overview of what we're doing. But anyone who's listened this far will understand it a lot more than they would from reading the website. Yeah, 100%. Anything you're looking for specifically to help the, the company continue to grow? Any spaces that need to be filled or certain companies that you guys are gonna aiming for or any industry, industries? I know it's all B2B, but in general. You know, we, we work a lot with uh, companies in the rewards and cashback and fintech space. Uh, we work a lot with companies in the um, telecom, uh, which is broadly defined, you know, the carriers and the device OEMs and the service providers in that ecosystem as well. Okay, sweet. Fantastic, guys. Well, no, um, I would definitely recommend to reach out to Jordan if you're, if you're in any of those spaces. And uh, really appreciate you uh, being on the show today uh, and just kind of telling your phenomenal story and your great uh, feedback on not only, you know, venture capital um, acquisitions or, or exits in companies, but also uh, with, uh, with, with COVID and uh, new opportunities that can be made uh, even during this kind of crazy time. So thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks, Tom. Uh, best of luck to you. Thanks for listening to the iSmart Podcast Show. If you are a business owner with multiple streams of income or professional who would like to be on the daily program, please visit iSmartNetworks.com slash guest. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you do that, tag us with hashtag iSmartPodcast. Each month, we scour Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We pick one winner from each platform, and you get crowned king or queen of that social media. What do you win? We'll promote you and your business to our media fans totally free. 
Can you also hook us up? In your podcast player right now, please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review. We promise to read it all and take action. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill that mission. While you're at it, hit that subscribe button. You know why? Tomorrow. That's right. Seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed 15 minutes a day. Thanks for listening. And thank you for being a part of the iSmart Podcast.